The passage this morning is in Luke chapter 13. Uh, We're going to look at some of the words of Jesus, but I want to read the scripture reading in Job. And Job is talking about wisdom. Uh, Job 28, starting at verse 12, where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears we've heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure. When he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out and said to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. That's what we need. That's the wisdom that we need. So let me read for you this passage. It's a very interesting passage that Luke has for us. Luke chapter 32, starting in verse 22. Jesus now is passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty interesting reply to that question, isn't it? So, Lord, are just a few going to be saved? Well, you know, you might want to work hard at getting through that door. You might want to strive to enter through that door. Because only a few are actually going to make it. Now, if you've been a Christian for very long, if you've been involved in Christianity for a while, particularly in the last generation or two or three or four, you might get the impression that salvation is like really easy. There's really nothing to getting saved. It's, it's uh, you just pray this little prayer and that's it. There you go. You're in. That's all there is. Um, but Jesus said, Actually, it's a little more difficult than that. Is is salvation just a little prayer that we tack on to the end of a sermon and give what has been commonly referred to as an invitation? Is that really all there is to salvation? We, We get the gospel, we have people pray the sinner's prayer, and then we 
invite people to come down front who've prayed the prayer. Um, you know, the actual mechanics of that are not necessarily a, a problem. Having people come down front is, uh, if you were at a, a, a stadium and you were the speaker and there were, say, 10,000 people in the stands and you preached the gospel and you, know, you needed to follow up on the people who believed to have them come down front and let you know that they believe that message is, that's fine. You've got to have, you have some mechanism where you can figure out who did what and, and follow up on that. That's not necessarily an issue. But to tack that on to the end of every sermon and to make that part of every service, where, where exactly did that come from? You might be surprised to learn that that, that actually is relatively recent, that that is not actually wasn't done until the 1800s. There was a guy by the name of uh, Finney who he decided he was a, he had previously been a lawyer and then became a Christian and became a preacher. And he came to the theological conclusion, which you can have a discussion about this as well, but his conclusion was that salvation is just all of you. It's all of man. And then what we need to do is we need to do whatever we can to have people make this decision because that's all that matters is that you make the decision. So he set up an anxious seat in the front of the church and invited people to come. And, and if you felt at all, if you had any kind of concern about your salvation, come down and sit in the anxious seat. And so he deliberately set that up and then preached messages to make people quite anxious not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, people should be concerned about their eternity. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But what occurred is, whether he meant this or not, things kind of take on a life of their own. And we are people who kind of like to walk by sight rather than by faith. And it's good to feel like something's happening. And so the pressure is subtly or maybe not so subtly implied that, well, if you're going to preach a real good sermon, then you've got to get a response and you've got to get an immediate response and you've got to get people to come down front. And then what begins to happen is that we, in order to elicit that response, there is a temptation to begin to take the gospel and to make it easier and easier to believe. And suddenly it, it, it's human nature, right? It's just kind of human nature. We suddenly develop techniques. Next thing you know, we've got everybody bowing their head and closing their eyes, and we're going to pray the prayer. And then with no one looking, we want you to raise your hand because we don't want anybody to be embarrassed. And then those of you who prayed the prayer, I want you to look up. And then those of you who've looked up, you know, I, I talk to you. And then, and then, okay, everybody look up. And we're going to stand up, and we're going to sing this song. And, the, and when I, of course, I know who you all are now, and I, you need to come down front. And, you know, and, and so we, and there's this, it just kind of, we're doing an emotional sermon, we're having emotional singing, we're, and okay, you might think, and you might have been, I certainly was, I was raised in a church where that was every Sunday. That was how that went every Sunday. In fact, how else is this going to go? But kind of find out how else that could go is that that was actually recent. And it's, it's based on an approach in which we are the the theology behind that approach is that we just want to make the gospel easy. And if we can just get it easy enough, if, I mean, I get stuff in the mail, you know, the one, the, the one verse gospel, how to make the gospel as easy as possible. 
Well, you know, okay. What does the verse say? What does Jesus say about getting into the kingdom? The guy said to him, are only a few being saved? And Jesus goes, oh, no. It's really easy to get saved. Don't you get Jesus pray this little prayer? I mean, it's, you know. And by the way, I'm not, follow the whole sermon here, okay? Get, go with me to the end. Don't, don't read anything into this. I, no one's suggesting that you work for salvation. That's not what's going to happen here. But Jesus says there's going to be many people who really want to get in the kingdom that aren't going to make it. Well, who are those folks? Well, those are folks, and you know them. There are many religious people who do many religious things, who perform many religious duties, thinking that somehow that's going to get them into the kingdom. It's not. They're seeking to get into the kingdom, but they're, they're not going to make it. It's a narrow door, and it's actually difficult to get through that door. So what happens when we present the gospel, um, what exactly is the gospel? And you have to stop and think about this, because if you listen to any number of people out there presently preaching the gospel these days, you might get the impression that the gospel is actually a message about how Jesus is going to meet any of your unfulfilled needs. Jesus is the ultimate fulfiller of whatever it is you want. Are you lonely? Jesus will be your friend. Are, are you depressed? Jesus will give you joy. Uh, whatever it is, whatever your felt needs are, Jesus is there to meet your felt needs. Jesus is going to make today your best day ever. Jesus is here to make all your days your best days. And if you listen to some preachers, why, Jesus will even heal your sicknesses and make you wealthy. That's what Jesus is. He's the ultimate fulfillment of all of your dreams and all of your ambitions and all of the fulfillment of your life that you want. Just come to Jesus for just a moment. You've got to admit that you're a sinner, but then come to Jesus and it'll all be yours. Uh, hmm. Is that really the gospel that's preached in the New Testament? Is that really what Jesus, is that what Jesus is saying? Is that the message Jesus is giving? Or is Jesus saying things like, you know, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your sister, or your brother, you cannot be my disciple. Mm, that's kind of a different take on it, right? And so we want to look at what Jesus actually says here so that when we present the gospel, we present the gospel that Jesus is presenting. They're coming to him and saying, are only just a few going to be saved? Yeah, actually just a few are going to be saved. What is it we're actually saved from? I mean, am I saved from worry? Am I saved from Fear, anxiety, depression, poverty. What exactly is it Jesus is saving me from anyway? You know what he's saving you from? The wrath of God. It's not Satan who's going to cast you into hell for eternity if you don't believe. It's God. Jesus came and died to rescue us from the wrath of his own father against us as sinners. We need to recognize that every breath we breathe of God's air and then breathe out 
using his name in vain, speaking rebellion, living our lives, ignoring God. Every single breath we breathe is offensive to God as we use it in rebellion to him. And there will be an accounting for that. And it is a frightful thing. Jesus died to save us from the wrath of God. Jesus so loves us that he gave his own life that we may come to God. So what is Jesus' view on whether or not many are saved? Well, okay, so he's passing through from one city to another. What is he doing? Jesus is preaching the gospel. I mean, this is the gospel of Luke, right? There's the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke. We can look in the book of Acts, which we're going to go to when we're done Luke. And we're seeing the gospel being preached. Jesus is going about trying to get people into the kingdom of God. Well, what does it say he's doing? Well, in verse 22, he is passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching. That's how he's giving the gospel. He's teaching the truth about the kingdom of God. He's telling people the truth. Truth is the gospel. He's out there talking to people and, you know, you've got to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. The kingdom is here. Remember, we just got done talking last week. Remember, the kingdom of God is likened to a mustard seed. And it's, and it's like an, uh, it's going to start small and then it's going to get big. The, the kingdom of God is not necessarily like you think it is. So on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus is not trying to just give people some kind of great religious experience. Jesus is not trying to convince people of anything other than that he is the king and the kingdom of God is here. And you need to get out of the kingdom of darkness and you need to get into the kingdom of light. Even the miracles are done for the specific purpose of teaching people who Jesus is. You could read the gospels and see that there are people who get, who get healed who don't get saved. They get healed, but they still don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, even though he heals them. There's a completely different thing here between believing the truth and experiencing what Jesus is doing. So the message that Jesus is giving is to speak truth. So is everyone going to get saved? Well, clearly not. Is How many people are going to get saved? Well, you know, if you'd have been paying attention, if this person who asked this question had actually been traveling with Jesus and listening to what Jesus had to say, it might not be surprising to them that only a few are being saved. Jesus has, and we'll just look at Luke. We could spend a long time looking. We'll just look at just a few passages out of Luke. Jesus just got done saying, last chapter, Luke 12. Do you suppose that I came to send peace on the earth? I tell you no, rather, but division. In fact, from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They'll be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Jesus is like, do you think I came to send peace on the earth? No, I came to send division. Well, that doesn't sound like everybody's going to get saved. Nope. Uh, he speaks to the religious leaders in verse 56 and says, what? You hypocrites, you bunch of hypocrites. You know how to analyze the sky. You have no idea how to analyze the present times. 
well, that doesn't seem like a seeker-friendly message. That's, he's calling the religious leaders a bunch of hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Yep. In fact, he goes on in this chapter, in verse 3, and says to them, I tell you that unless you repent, you're all going to perish. This is the whole crowd. If everyone in this crowd, if you don't repent, you're all going to perish. And then, of course, the parable of the fig tree and the parable of the mustard seed, which again both implies that the kingdom of God is going to start small and then it's going to grow big. So when Jesus says to them, are all going to be saved? Well, we're at the mustard seed stage here. We're, we're at the small stage here. So Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing now for three years. And just how many people does he have? Oh, he has great crowds. There's huge crowds. When he gets to speak, all kinds of people come. How many disciples does he actually have? Well, you got the 12. One of them is Judas. Then you've got the 70. By the time the book of Acts opens up, uh, Jesus has spent 40 days. Paul will say that, well, there were 500 witnesses. Okay. At the upper room, as Acts begins to get going, there's 120 people up there. So what have we got? We've got less than 1,000 people that have actually gotten saved, entered into the kingdom that, that we can see. So here we are. It should not be surprising when someone says to him, Lord, are there just a few being saved to Jesus to say, well, actually, if you just kind of look around, it should be clear to you that at this juncture, as the kingdom is unfolding, as this is coming into fruition, it's not going to be that many folks. It's going to take a little bit for this thing to get going. It's going to take a while. The kingdom, like leaven, is going to have to permeate, and it's going to take a while. Now, you know what the person is probably looking at. If they're Jewish, and we know they are, because they're with Jesus, they're looking at, like, Jeremiah 31. And if you look at Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, and they, they won't have to teach anybody anymore. Because each man will say to his neighbor, and everyone will say to his brother, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. You, you won't have to say to anybody anymore, Know the Lord, they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. I'll forgive all of their iniquities, and their sins I will remember no more. The whole nation is going to come to God. And so I think this is probably what the guy is looking at. He's looking at Ezekiel. He's looking at Zephaniah. It's the same thing. It's this, in the end, God is going to save the whole house of Israel. And so he's looking at him like, well, you're the Messiah. I mean, I think you are anyway. And, but if you're the Messiah, then why is it this isn't working? Why are only a few being saved? If you're actually the Messiah, how come we don't watch the whole nation of Israel repenting and coming? And Jesus is going to say to them, well, because it's difficult to get saved. Salvation is completely against what you naturally think. Now, Jesus is not saying you have to work for salvation. This is not a matter of adding works to your salvation. This is a matter of are you going to get to the place where you actually want to hear what the actual gospel is? Lots of people want to hear lots of messages. But what we don't want to hear is that we are sinners. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to please God with your works. Who in the world wants to hear that? That's a tough message. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is a tough message. To actually come to the place where you recognize no matter what I 
do, I cannot please God. When you come to the place where you stop saying, okay, I've got my standard of righteousness and frankly, God needs to agree with me. I'll tell you how you get to heaven. You do your best to keep the Ten Commandments and God put your good works over here and your bad works over here. And we, we kind of do the balance on the scales. And if God sees your good works outweigh your bad, then you get into heaven. That's how it works. Like, oh, I got news for you. That's not how it works. And if you're like, well, I don't like that message. Okay, guess what? It's hard for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. It's going to be difficult for you. You're going to have to stop trusting yourself. You're going to have to stop trusting there's a way that seems right unto a person. But the ends thereof are the ways of death. What the gospel might seem like it ought to be to you is wrong. The only way you actually understand the gospel is when you look at what the Bible actually says. Well, that's tough. How many people do you know? Why isn't this place packed to the walls? Why aren't people standing? Why don't we have seats in the aisle? Why aren't they outside listening on speakers? You know, there's 40,000 people in this town. How many do you think are actually sitting this morning in a church that's preaching the gospel to them? A very small percentage. Why is that? Because it's hard. It's hard to hear the truth. Who in the world wants to hear somebody stand up and tell them that we are sinners before God? It's tough. It's tough to admit that. It's tough to be the person who can actually say, you know what, Lord? I, I, you know when you get saved? Do you want to know when you get saved? It's not when you just pray a little prayer. It's, it's not just praying that. It's when you suddenly wake up, perhaps in the middle of the night, in a cold sweat because it occurs to you that there is a place called hell where people burn for eternity and you deserve to be there. And it suddenly hits you that I actually deserve that. Me. Oh. And there's a God who is omniscient and omnipotent who is looking at me with wrath. And who may very well pour his wrath out on me. And that I walk across eternity on rotted boards. And, and the very flames of hell are licking my feet, except I've been completely oblivious to it all this time. And I have simply walked through this world, breathing God's air and drinking God's water and walking on God's ground and acting like I own the place and completely ignoring any message that God might have for me. I don't really care what God had to say. And I'm suddenly, I suddenly realized that the, that the God who created this world gave his son's life for me. And I've been ignoring it. And I'm suddenly gripped with the absolute terror of that. Okay, that's, that's when you get saved. Well, assuming that your response to that is, oh Lord, could you save even someone like me? Did Jesus die for someone like me? I know who I am. You're suddenly awakened to who you truly are. You know, that is actually difficult. It's not that there's not some human agency in salvation. There's absolutely human agency in salvation. You don't get saved until you get saved. You do need to come to God. You need to repent. You need to stop saying, these things that I was trusting in, I'm not trusting in them anymore. And the reality is that salvation comes when you wake up to this. And having grown up in a 
Christian culture where a lot of that was minimized. And what was inserted in its place is a very simple prayer with very little understanding necessarily. And then great assurance that having said this with almost like, almost like magic words, that you've said these words, now you're given absolute unquestioned assurance that if you truly meant that forever, you can do whatever you want for the rest of your life and you'll be sure and go to heaven. I know for a fact because... Lord, save me, I've told people that. Um, Okay, really? Really? Because if you actually see what Jesus says here, okay, what Jesus is saying here is that in order for you to really understand the gospel, you are going to have to strive. You're going to have to wrestle with some things. It It is behooving you to agonize. That's what this word strive is. It's agonizomai. And that's, it's the word we get agonized from. It's a word that's used if, you, if you're an athlete and you're going to compete. It's used in 2 Timothy this way. If you're an athlete and you're going to compete, then the only way you're going to win the race is if you get out there and you start running and you run until it's agony and then you keep running. And you've got to outrun everybody else's running the race. You know, it's like the guy who said, I, I always wanted to be a professional boxer until I got in the ring with somebody who really wanted to be a professional boxer. <laughs> You've got to strive. You've got to be determined. Stop and think about the parable of the sower and the seeds. Okay, yes, one set of seeds just lands on the hard ground and the devil comes and takes it and it's, you know, the gospel's just gone. It's like they never really listened to it. But some people, they spring up. They're like, oh, that's the greatest story I've ever heard. Right up until the sun comes out, which is persecution, the moment I have to actually pay anything for that, oh, no, I'm out of here. Okay, those people aren't saved. They didn't get saved. They just responded selfishly to a message of, who in the world doesn't want to go to heaven? Want to go to heaven? Yeah. Okay, well, just let me, let me just give you this little thing you got to say, and then you can go to heaven. Woohoo! I mean, who in the world doesn't want to do that? But actually, genuine soul-transforming salvation, that thing that, that actually makes you the different person is when you wrestle and wake up to who we truly are got to go down this road. You've got you've to strive. It's going to take some genuine wrestling with God. You've got to work through who you truly are. The guy who the seed fell on the stony ground or the thorny ground, it grew even a little more. But then the cares and affairs of life, when it actually came time to decide, they seemed to be doing better. Because they didn't come under persecution, they actually came under prosperity. It's the opposite. Things are going great for them. But then the moment came where they actually had to make a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to keep pursuing the world? Well, they pursued the world. Okay, they're not really saved either. Some seed fell on good ground. Good ground. How do you know if you're the good ground? Well, do you produce fruit? Do you bring forth fruit, meat for repentance? Are you a person who has thought this through? Have you struggled through the reality? Salvation, it's, it's, this isn't a matter of work. This isn't a matter you've got to do some kind of work. It's a matter of whether or not you've thought through who God truly is and who you truly are. 
Because if you haven't thought this through, if you're just thinking, well, you know, Jesus is, I, I have my life and I have everything I have and I, it's all going great and I'm going to add Jesus to that. I mean, who in the world does, let's just add Jesus to that. So Jesus just gets added to what I'm doing. Uh, no, no, that's, no, that's not going to work. You need to make Jesus everything. Jesus has to be all. It's all. If you're thinking that, well, I can just add Jesus to who I am, then you don't really understand the gospel. You haven't wrestled with this enough. You haven't agonized over this enough. You have not made your way through the narrow door yet. If you're still living for yourself and thinking that that's going to get it done, it's, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. You need to get to the place where you're like, it's Jesus or, 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 or I die. Give me Jesus. That's it. Whatever happens after that, I'll be good with it. And prosperity may come with that. I, you may follow, pursue Jesus and you may find yourself doing okay. Financially, it's fine. It's not like God has to have poverty. That's, that's not the issue. The question is, if we have to choose between our wealth and Jesus, what are we going to choose? Take the whole world. Give me Jesus. That, that's the, have we wrestled with it to the place where we recognize it's Jesus, it's all Jesus, everything is Jesus. My, if I stand before God and he says, why shall I let you into heaven? The only answer is Jesus. That's it. It's what he's done. I, nothing. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter how good a person I've been. I haven't been that good a person. I haven't counted any of that anyway. It's all Jesus. And the fact is, you can wake up to that at any time, at any place. In fact, it'd probably be better if you woke up to that at 2 in the morning in a cold sweat. And that was the moment when you came to Jesus. And to twist your arm is probably not of great value. We should do all we can to persuade you. We should make the message as clear as we can possibly make it. We certainly, the, the church's job is to share the gospel and to share the truth. But don't change the message to somehow make it easier. It doesn't need to be easy. People either believe it or they don't. Draw the line nice and bright. Make it very clear which side people are standing on. Have you left your self-righteousness? Have you left your works which you're counting on to save you? Have you walked away from those? Have you declared that you, nothing good you can do is going to do anything to put you in the good favor of God? The only thing that's going to put you in the favor of God is your trust of Jesus. You, you got there yet? Because if you haven't, well, then you haven't got there. You need to repent. That's why Jesus walked around and said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John said, repent. The apostles preached repent. What, what is that? Well, you have to, instead of facing this way, you face this way. You have to turn around. Over this way, I've been counting on my good works and what a good person I am and how religious I am and all these good things I've been doing. And I've been counting on, well, you know, the, the goodness of God because God is gracious and long-suffering and he's a nice guy. And well, so am I. And so God and I get along just fine. Okay, you need to repent of that. You need to turn away from that and get over here and go, I am an undeserving sinner who were God to cast me headlong into hell for the rest of eternity would be only doing the right thing. In fact, I'm amazed he hasn't done it to me already. What in the world have I been thinking, presuming on the grace of God? How could I have possibly presumed on the grace of God? 
It's terrifying. Okay, now, now we're looking at salvation. I'm, I'm completely putting away any trust I had in myself and putting all of my trust on, on Jesus. It takes some time. You, you, need to, you need to chew on that message for a little bit. We're very good at convincing ourselves that, well, I mean, God does want me to be a good person after all, doesn't he? Well, yes, God wants you to be perfect. That's what Jesus said, be perfect as, my, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Like, well, wait a minute. Now, that's not it. No one's perfect. Mm. Uh-huh. See, now you're getting to where maybe you're ready to actually hear the real gospel. Because come to find out, the perfection that we get is the perfection of Jesus. That's why we can't work our way to heaven. That's why our good works don't make it. That's why nothing we can do can get us to heaven. Because only perfect people go to heaven. And you're like, well, nobody's perfect. You're right. No one is perfect except Jesus. And you need to wrestle with the reality that your good works are not going to do it. You've got to get to Jesus. Only Jesus. This is why Jesus says the door is narrow. Lots of religious people are going to run around looking for this door and they're not going to find it. Oh, they think they want a relationship with God. They think they, they want to do the God thing. They think they understand who God is. They think they understand how this all works. They're going to do their religious duties and they're going to do their, their things and God is going to be fine with that. And they're going to completely ignore that it's by grace. And you just have to have faith in God's grace. That's all. And all you trust in is God's grace. This is the wisdom that we need to come to salvation. It's in the Old Testament. It's not hidden. It's a, you can turn the, in fact, let me read a couple of passages to you. Proverbs chapter one, wisdom. This is, this is the wisdom of God. This is the ability to get right thinking about who God is and who we are. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts up her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her saying, saying, how long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. The wisdom of God, God's wisdom is trying to get your attention. God is trying to reach us. He's trying to share truth to us, which is why we teach the word of God, preach the word of God, and speak truth continuously. Truth is what gets you where you need to get. Wisdom shouts in the streets. It's out there. God is the creator. The creation screams it. The creation did not create itself. God created the heavens and the earth. It's out there. It's shouting in the streets. The question is, are you listening? Because the naive ones, they just like to be simple-minded. I mean, they don't. They're naive. They don't care. It just hurts their head to think about this stuff. So they don't want to think about it. And then the scoffers, oh, they don't believe in God anyway. Who cares? There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no eternity. There's no God. I, okay, they just scoff that all the way. And, and the fools, they're like, well, I don't, you know, I'm, it's all just a fairy tale anyway, you know. God and the tooth fairy, you know, they're all the same. They, they, don't, they don't want to know. They, they don't want to hear it. The fact is the wisdom of God, in order to get into your life, just look at the world. Just, just look. I am just look. 
you can come to the same conclusion. You know what? The door for people to actually come to salvation and to actually understand the gospel and to come to the place where they put their full trust in Christ and nothing else, it's tough. Which is exactly what Jesus says. The guy says to him, are there only a few being saved? How does Jesus reply to that? Does he say, well, I don't, that's, that's not a good take on that. Oh, no. <laughs> no. This is what Jesus says. The door is narrow. You should agonize to get through it. Don't worry about all the people who aren't getting through it, by the way. He says to the guy, his answer is not, well, you know, stop paying attention to all those people who aren't getting through it. Here's what, you better strive to get through the door. Because let me tell you, there are going to be people who think they've gone through the door, who want to get through the door, who aren't going to. They're not going to make it through the door. So strive. Pay attention. Read the word of God. Listen to what it actually has to say. And then look in the mirror carefully and pray that God will open your eyes so that you can see the truth about who you are and the truth about who God is. Again, another Proverbs, chapter 2. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. Then you will discover the knowledge of God. All you have to do is look at the world and realize, you know what, the average person has no fear of God. It, it, you want to talk to them about hell, they'll laugh. Ah, me and my friends are going to get down there and have a party. That is not the fear of the Lord. They won't be laughing when it happens. And so, wisdom, the Proverbs, continuously encourages us. Pay attention. Treasure the commandments. Make your ear attentive. Incline your heart. Cry out. Lift up your voice. Oh, Lord, please help me understand the truth. And then you will. And what you'll understand is that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the sum total of wisdom. Perfect love will cast out all fear. When we get to heaven, we won't fear God. We will understand the perfect love of God. But down here, yeah, a good, healthy respect for God. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, don't fear him who could just kill the body. Fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. That is how you get wisdom. And so when we speak the gospel to people, when we talk to people about the gospel, we talk and, and we went over this at the Easter service. We looked at Paul's presentation of the gospel on the Areopagus Hill. He talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Talk about the fact that there is an eternity and we are going to spend eternity. Will, will everyone believe that? Uh, unfortunately, no. No, but we still speak the truth. We need to help people wake up. We need to help people get out of the slumber they're in. Open their eyes. See. Look at who God is and look at who you are. 
and wrestle with that, agonize over that. Because the door is narrow and it's going to be tough to get through. And the fact is, it's hard to get folks through that door. It's hard. So speak the truth. Make the line as bright as you possibly can so that people can discern whether they're on one side of it or not. Have you turned and repented or haven't you? Let's not, let's not make this so that people can't quite figure out. I, I had a guy I ran into. He was, I, I had known him for quite a while. A totally and completely godless guy. Just, you know, made no pretense of being a Christian or anything else. And over the course of time, I was able to share the gospel with him and to, and to give him the truth. And he said to me, Oh, yeah, I've done that. I was at a service somewhere where I, uh, I went down front and I prayed this little prayer. And the guy told me that now that I've prayed this prayer, I, I'm absolutely certain that I'm, you know, no matter what happens from here on in, I, if I die, I'll go to heaven. So I looked at him and I said, do you really believe that? No. 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 Why would he believe that? Why would anybody believe that? When you understand the truth of the gospel, you're never the same again. It transforms you. You're never the same again. So any gospel that you're preaching that doesn't transform people, that doesn't cause people to walk away completely different than they were before they heard it, you might want to think about up in your gospel presentation. You might want to think about making this very, very, very clear of exactly what they're doing and exactly what kind of decision they're making. You're walking away from the world, self-reliance. You're crucifying yourself. Jesus, we'll get to it, by the way. He'll talk about count the cost. Before you build the tower, make sure you have enough money to finish it. When the army, you've got 10,000 and the guy is marching towards you with 20,000, go out and see if you can talk to him before he gets here. Count the cost. Jesus continuously tells his disciples to count the cost. Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into here. We should make sure that when we preach the gospel to people, they know what they're getting themselves into. And not, not you know, like heaven's the the bait on the hook and now that we've hooked you in now we fill you in on oh and by the way you ought to read your bible and go to church every sunday too just come on with it at the beginning yes god expects you to completely transform your life and he's going to help you do it but if you're not prepared to have your life completely transformed well you're just not ready to hear the gospel that's all and but you might want to be you might want to be well aware of what the consequences of that are so yeah yeah actually the gospel does jesus is going to ask you to make him uh completely the lord of your life yes yeah, it's exactly what Jesus wants. You're going to have to get out of the kingdom of darkness and you're going to have to get into the kingdom of light. You're going to have to walk away from the kingdom of darkness and you're going to have to walk into the kingdom of light. And if you're not prepared to stop serving the kingdom of darkness and start serving the kingdom of light, then, well, you're not. You better wrestle with this some more because this is what the gospel asks of us. Now, God is going to do the work once you actually decide, okay, I man, I, why in the world wouldn't I do that? Of course I'm going to do that. I mean, isn't that why you're here? Haven't you looked in the mirror and gone, 
Well, yeah, I'm terrified of spending eternity in hell. So whatever God wants, I want to become the person God wants me to be. I, I got saved so that I could get rid of the craziness in my life and have God guide me. That's what I want. I, I want Jesus. I want him to tell me what to do. I want to study the word of God. I want to know what God wants from me. I want to be that person. Yeah, okay, yeah. But you had to work at getting there because that's what Jesus says. You have to agonize. You have to struggle with it. The, the door is narrow. Not a wide door. It's a narrow door. It's hard to get through it. So you had to pray that God, and if you're here this morning, by the way, and you haven't got through that door, you need to get through it. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. It's no, you can't do that. It's Jesus or nothing. It's the gospel. Repent. Stop trusting yourself. Start trusting Jesus. Period. It's a bright line. You're either standing on one side of it or you're not. And that's the gospel. And you certainly can make that decision sitting right here this morning, and I hope you do. But you might want to chew on it. Make sure you're ready. Make sure that that makes sense to you. Be a Berean. Go home. Study the scripture for yourself and see if these things are so. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's much better, frankly, if you come to it on your own. You're suddenly, before God, you're like, ah, it's good. It's all good. I'm not going to twist your arm going to give you the truth. And, and by the way, if you want to make a public profession of your faith, we have a baptistry right there. We'll be glad to bring you up here and have you talk about your faith in Christ and then we'll baptize you. We do it all the time. Be more than happy. All right, let's pray. Lord, we want more people in the kingdom. We want to preach a message that is so clear that people know whether they're standing on one side of it or the other. We want to give your spirit full opportunity to work in people's lives and to make sure that there's not great confusion or uncertainty or not really sure whether we're a Christian or not may be clear to us. And we know whether we're trusting ourselves or you. Thank you the gospel. Thank you for the death of your son. May it, may it terrify us if we have not. Thank you for that. And may we try as best we can, particularly through the power of your spirit, to live up to the reality of the gospel. The reality that you did not withhold your own son's life to see to it that we could spend eternity with you. Thank you for being such a loving God. May I turn our hearts to you fully, without reservation. Come to you and just believe. Thank you, Lord, for the great God you are. Use our lives and may we preach the gospel to every creature. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.